Have you ever wanted to be bold, to be brave, speak up, take a new path in life, but you wish you had someone to walk beside you? This is A Voice of Her Own, a podcast about our journey to agency, authority, and action. Each week, you'll get inspiration, actionable practices, and support from me and from brave women of all kinds, walking their own path and telling their own stories. I'm Diva. I'm a trauma-informed coach and a doctoral student in psychology. So I know a few things about seeking an authentic life, but I'm still learning too. So join me as we support, encourage, and inspire each other. This is a podcast about showing up. This is a voice of her own. So hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of A Voice of Her Own. I'm your host, Diva Davison. Today, I want to talk about anger. So I recently had an experience with a group of women who are my friends, people that I know well. And we were talking about anger, and I recognized once again, and I've seen it before, but it really became clear to me how much discomfort women have around the idea of expressing anger. This is always a surprise to me because I personally feel like I'm pretty outspoken. I'm very passionate. I tend to um, stand my ground. I tend to speak up. And so in that implicit bias of seeing the world as we see ourselves, I tend to forget until it's shown to me again how much discomfort women have around anger. But I think it's a really important subject for a lot of reasons. So the first thing I want to do is differentiate between we tend to conflate terms, anger, rage, hate, passion, fierceness, um, but they're quite different things. So anger is a what I would call a secondary emotion, which means that it has something that uh, is happening prior to the anger reaction. So it's actually a response to a threat. And one of the things I'm going to talk about a little bit later is that my understanding is that normally the emotion that precedes anger is fear. Often it's masked by anger, but if you actually delve into what the preceding emotion is, it's most often fear. So anger is a response to a threat. It could be a response to feeling that we are not getting our due, that we have some sort of scarcity that's going to be imposed upon us, that um, in some way there's an injustice and it is a mobilizing emotion. Rage is characterized by a loss of control. So rage is what happens to anger when it is not modulated, when the amygdala which is the part of the brain that uh, has our fight or flight reaction, uh, really ramps up into the fight reaction to the point where there's no longer any um, prefrontal cortex. There's nothing that's modulating it. It's just an expression of an unstoppable um, feeling of anger. And it usually is characterized by violence or by the desire to do violence. Hate is something that can be as modulated as aversion, like 
you could say, like, I could say, I hate spaghetti. Um, that's a kind of silly way of saying it, but it's true. I have a deep aversion to spaghetti. I, it, it grosses me out. I can't. But normally when we think of hate, we're thinking about something that is directed towards a specific person, group, or thing. And it can follow a scale from aversion all the way to scapegoating. And by that, I mean uh, othering a group or a person in such a way as to um, to place one's own shadow issues onto someone else so that they have the burden of it. And we are relieved of the burden of addressing those issues. And we see that a lot politically, and we're seeing it a lot right now uh, in the news. So passion. So oftentimes passion is characterized as a positive emotion because we think about a passionate kiss or a passionate romance or a passionate love letter. Um, but passion actually only means intensity. It means something that we're feeling intensely. And if you look at the actual root of the word passion, it actually derives from sadness. And so that is why we call it the passion of the Christ. Um, it's really about the intense sorrow and sadness that's at the root of that particular story, which I'm not saying that that's the only emotion related to Christianity, and I'm not here to have a discussion about that, but that is the root of that particular word. So a lot of times in my experience, when women are passionate, they are characterized as being angry, when in fact they're not actually angry. They are passionate about motivating a change or motivating some sort of action towards a goal that has been brought up by some sort of um, need for change. I'll just leave it at that. It could be an injustice. Oftentimes when I am passionate about something, like I'm passionate about women's issues and, uh, and I feel that I'm really wanting to get across my point. Um, Granted, I come from a culture which is Italian, which uses a lot of gestures and volume and words and speaking quickly. And that can be characterized as being angry if you come from a culture that is very stoic. Um, but I do think that oftentimes when women are anything other than in a state of passive acceptance, they can get characterized as being angry, and that is seen as a negative. And the last term is fierceness. This is my favorite term, um, not just because of Beyonce, although good on ya, uh, for modeling that so well for all of us, but because fierceness can be characterized as determination, courage, um, being bold, brave, confident, assertive, and unapologetic. And that is what I aspire to, and that is what I aspire to for everyone listening, that every woman can move through the world in a way that is bold, brave, unapologetic, and that there is the sense that that version of oneself is there to do very important and necessary work in the world. 
And I want to come back to the idea of how we are conditioned, which is, again, I think the state that is preferable for women is to be in a state of passive acceptance. And that we characterize as being the cool girl or being the chill girl. You know, there's something in uh, fiction writing called the Mary Sue, which is a character who is sort of inserted to be, um, to not have an agenda of her own, but to be like the cool chill girl who's different. She's, um, you know, she's not like the other girls. And I think a lot of us have fallen into wanting to be that. It is a very popular trope in uh, film, in romance novels, in women's fiction. And the problem with being the cool, chill girl is that you're essentially accepting the idea that being angry equals being crazy. And that, I think, is the stereotype that we really have um, internalized. And it's interesting, when I was doing research for this uh, particular episode, one of the things I came across in several different articles is that women feel that if they were to express their anger, that they would be unattractive. So that's what it kind of comes down to. If you're angry, men are going to think you're crazy, i.e., oh, she's a crazy bitch. Oh, that chick's crazy, dude. Um, and that that there is something inherently unattractive about being angry. And first off, when we accept that idea, we are sourcing all of our power to someone else. We're saying it's much more important that this external source of power, i.e. a man, find me attractive than it is for me to source my own power from my inside and say this is unacceptable because anger usually comes from a place of finally getting to uh, not be able to ignore things that are unacceptable or that are threats to our own well-being, threats to our survival. And that could be as simple as like, I can't go another night without some sleep. You have to take the baby. Like it could be that simple. Or it could be I'm in, you know, an intimate partner violence situation and I like literally have to find some way to get out of the situation. So there's a whole spectrum of what anger might be the result of, where it might be coming from, what's a threat to you might not be a threat to me and vice versa. I think it's just important to recognize that as long as we decide that we're going to curtail our anger because it's unattractive, that we're literally saying that our well-being should be subsumed in order to be attractive to someone else who has power. We're basically saying, I can't generate enough power on my own. I need the power of this male protector or this financial power or this status, any of those things that comes with being in a heterosexual relationship. So just something to think about. My partner, um, I am in a heterosexual relationship right now, and my partner said something really interesting. He um, was raised in a very conventional gender role society in the Midwest. He went into the military, another place where we have very conventional gender roles. And he said, you need to remember that as far as men are concerned, anger belongs to us. 
you can't have it. You have all the other emotions. You get to express all the other emotions. Anger is ours. You can't have it because that's the only expression that we get. If we're sad, if we're depressed, if we're disappointed, if we're anxious, if we're unhappy, if we're any of those things, those all come out as anger for men, generally speaking. Not in every case. Nothing I say is in every case. It's just a generally speaking kind of concept. And I thought that was really interesting. I had not thought of it that way before, but it makes sense. Um, there are a lot of consequences for women showing anger. And one of them is that women are generally penalized in the workforce in a way that men are not. So I looked at a couple different studies um, in peer-reviewed journals, and I'll put the um, actual links in the show notes. One of the studies showed that what was the uh, expected the expected way for women to show their emotions was to be sad and for men it was to be angry and that men were penalized for showing sadness and women were penalized for showing anger which i think is somewhat supportive of what my partner said um, what was really sort of interesting is that women got penalized on both sides because in order to um not be penalized for showing anger, they also had to be um, competent, communal, um, but were often thought of as being cold or um, less uh, likable and authentic if they were really keeping their emotions in check. So it's almost like, again, the only possible way that you could show emotion is to be, you know, sad and then somebody could come rescue you is basically what, you know, what that connotates. It's a one down position to be sad because sad is not a motivating, it's not a motivating emotion. Anger is a motivating emotion, right? Anger says, this is not okay with me and I'm going to do something about it. Sadness says, I cannot cope with this anymore and I'm going to withdraw. And so um, essentially, the other uh, article that I looked at showed that men feel very comfortable showing anger. In fact, um, in a study that was done uh, for a group of uh, law firms, they found that 62% of white men said they were not penalized for showing anger, that there was no repercussion. And I, of course, immediately thought of Brett Kavanaugh, right? And how angry he got during his confirmation hearings when he was confronted and how completely unacceptable it would have been for a woman to show that same level of anger. Um, so the evidence is pretty clear around this, that there are consequences for women showing anger, and one of those consequences is in the workplace. Um, and I've, ex I've, I've experienced this myself. As somebody who speaks out, I can say that in many of the workplace environments that I've been in, if you are direct, if you're clear, if you say no, if you um, tell people that you're not on board with what it is that's happening, um, there are there's a lot of pushback to that. People want soft language from women. They want them to be accessible. They want them to be available. They want them to be encouraging. They want them to be smiling, and and they definitely want you to be, um, you know, an onboard go 
like go team kind of whatever the project is, I'm here and I'll do extra for it. And when you start saying no to those things and when you start getting angry about things like discrepancy in pay and the um, the way that we're often told to do self-care, but the whole burden is put on the individual instead of like a complete buy-in by the organization, the way that um, their women are subtly held to a different standard in terms of dress and in terms of the way that they interact with people. When you start saying like, this is not acceptable and there has to be a change. And if not, I'm going to pursue some sort of action about it. You know, there's, there is definitely uh, discomfort that goes along with that because a lot of people will feel threatened by it. And I think one of the fundamental things that comes to me in terms of the things that I've been talking about on this podcast and the things I'm going to talk about in the future is that essentially almost every single one of these issues requires women to get comfortable with making other people uncomfortable. All right. It's time for the shout out. So the shout out is something that I'm excited about, something that I recommend, something I'm enthused and I want to share with you. It could be a person, place, thing, idea, project, or a product. Sometimes it's an affiliate link. Most of the time it's not. And today the shout out is actually a passion project. It's called radicalradio.media. It's a website and an archive of freeform radio history. Freeform radio was around for a very short period of time in the late 60s and early 70s. It was one of the only times in our history that we can look and see an art form that was not being co-opted by commerce. It also ushered in the great classic era of rock and roll. And it's kind of an unsung hero in our cultural narrative. And on radicalradio.media, you can see who was there. You can hear their stories. There's hours of interviews with the folks who were DJs and producers and musicians. There are links to uh, radio shows that are in their entirety. They've been remastered. You can hear live casts where musicians came into the studio and full shows. There's all kinds of goodies. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of graphics like posters and photos and any number of things detailing the history of this very important period of time in the arts in the United States, Freeform Radio. And again, that is at radicalradio.media. I'm one of the founding members. I think it's an important project. I hope you'll go check it out. You can sign up for the blog and uh, there's blog posts regularly with great stories from the people who were there. Uh, and I hope you'll go check it out. I love it. I think it's great. And that, my friends, is the shout out. And I don't know, <clears throat> it's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I mean, what I'm saying is I don't know how to give you, the listener, some piece of advice about how to make that easier other than to say you have to practice and you have to learn 
that your own well-being and sense of self is not dependent on other people. And that is something that if you don't learn that, you will be continuously at the mercy of other people's emotions. And that will mean that you will be constantly selling yourself short and not being authentic in order to make sure that those people like you. And that's, you know, that's called fawning. And that is a behavior that comes out of, you know, deep survival mechanisms that are there to protect you. But in the long run, as a woman, if you want to be walking your own path and you want to be brave and you want to be pursuing your real life, you're going to have to get okay with recognizing that sometimes people aren't going to like you and you're not going to die from that. I mean, I should say that that sounds a little firm. I should say that actually this is a good transition. Let's talk for a minute about domestic violence or intimate partner violence, because actually women do sometimes die from it in the sense that three women every day in the United States die from intimate partner violence and one in four women has experienced it. So again, there are reasons that we have these adaptive behaviors. There are reasons that women are afraid of getting angry. They're afraid of confrontation. They're afraid of showing how they feel and demanding things because for many women in this culture, there is an actual credible threat associated with that. There is a pushback. And that pushback is not just, you didn't get a promotion. That pushback is that there's very real threats of violence to you, to the people you love, to your children, to your animals, etc. cetera. Um, I can tell you as somebody who worked in law enforcement for seven years that I have seen mm, things that are just beyond horror. And so when I say that you're, you know, you're not going to die from somebody not liking you, ultimately there are times when in fact, you might be in a place where in order to get by every day, you do have to fawn. You do have to freeze. You do have to acquiesce. You do have to um, submit. And I want to say, um, just as an aside, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. 1-800-799-7233. I also want to talk about just briefly, next week I'm having a guest who teaches women's empowered self-defense. I think all of these issues are really enmeshed with one another. Um, one of the results, and I will save some of this for next week's episode, but one of the results about teaching women empowered self-defense, which the empowered part is an awareness of the um, systems in which our lives operate and the um, gender expectations and an awareness of trans transactions and the transactional nature of certain circumstances. It's more than just self-defense in terms of physical grappling, although that is a part of it. One of the things that was found is that women who received that education had a drastically lower, drastically lower rates of sexual assault and we know that most assault comes from nearest and dearest, as we say, in law enforcement, which means that most assault is coming from people we know. And it's coming from people that we do not think would harm us. And so when you look at 
what is required for women to be able to have the agency to walk in this world as their true self and to do it unapologetically. Part of what is necessary for that is to learn how to not be afraid, to learn how to not be afraid of physical assault, of being in a situation where you have no agency because you have no access to the things that would make it possible for you to leave, like bank accounts and money and credit cards and, and transportation and support and all of those things. And so these all things are obviously really intertwined. So I do not mean to be flippant when I say, you know, you're not going to die if somebody's uncomfortable. I am saying that in a larger picture of like women in general need to learn how to separate themselves from other people so that they can actually know what they think, feel, believe, and want to do. And so that they don't feel that their biggest job in life is to caretake other people's emotions. That's my point. And it seems to underline almost everything that we talk about. So uh, I do want to say, and I was going to talk about this before I got off on that tangent, um, see how I get passionate about things, um, that there are um, cultural and uh, racial components to the perception of anger in women. And what's really interesting about this is that we have these expectations that we place on, on different conceptions and stereotypes of race and gender when it comes to expressing anger. And depending on that expectation, you might get a pass for some things that other people wouldn't and vice versa. Um, a really blatant example is uh, another study that was done that said that <clears throat> by the age of six, black children were more likely to be penalized for behavioral issues and quote unquote anger outbursts in school. And boys were three times more likely to be disciplined or expelled, but black girls were six times as likely. And I don't believe that that's because black girls are doing six times as many behavioral uh, tantrums or outbursts or issues. Like, I don't think that that's the case. I think it's a pretty clear-cut example of how, um, and another article that I'll link to said that regardless of race, women are always penalized more than men in terms of anger and in terms of showing it. We're highly sensitized to women's anger regardless of race, but in terms of race, also because it's both boys and girls, both boys and girls uh, who are of color are more likely to be penalized in school. And if you learn that by the age of six, by the age of seven, you know, you're really getting an idea of like, okay, it's unacceptable for me. And I think, you know, most black men at this point in this country know that, you know, outbursts or showing anger can get them killed. And so we, we do have to like, take that into consideration when we're looking at how we're perceiving anger or how our anger is being perceived, what are the consequences of it? 
I want to say that in terms of cultural variances, sometimes conflict is seen as a means of connection, and it really depends. There are things that, you know, we might characterize, I think, a really um, unending trope is the angry Black woman. Another unending trope is like the, you know, the angry Italian woman throwing things, the, you know, huge fights, huge makeups. I don't know that that is always true. I think there's a stereotype that people from hotter climates tend to have hotter tempers and vice versa. I'm not sure you can say that everywhere. I don't know that you can actually come up with the evidence to say that that's true. But I do know that in many cultures, you know, passionate arguing, passionate um, fighting can be really seen as a means of intimacy. And in other cultures that are more stoic, um, it can be very offensive and disturbing and difficult for folks to be around. And I think that's one thing that we also need to keep in mind is when we're looking at how anger is expressed, um, we recognize that just because you said I was angry doesn't mean I was angry. That's, you know, there are, there are different levels of expression. And what I would ultimately like to come to is where is anger useful? Like I said, anger is very motivating. Where is it that we can actually um, come to terms with our anger? Because another study I read said that women are actually more angry than men. Um, that, and, and there's reasons for that. Women's anger usually revolves around um, incompetence, uh, injustice, um, and the feeling unheard or unseen. Um, and I think that there's a place where in women will say, oh, well, okay, that's mama bear energy. Like I can have anger for um, protecting my children. I can have anger for protecting my family. I can even have anger for protecting my, my church or my beliefs or my, um, you know, perhaps it's like the earth climate, animals, whatever it is that we see uh, as injustice, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, Me Too, like you definitely can see that women are capable of doing that. But my question is, where is it that women find that their anger is acceptable when what they are standing up for is themselves? Where is that? Why is it okay to be a mama bear, but it's not okay to be angry on your own behalf? And the way that I would like to reframe that is to go back to the concept of fierceness. I think we can all say that being fierce is something that is more beneficial than not. I think that there's not a connotation of ugliness or um, craziness around the idea of fierce. And so that I think is the first step of really coming to allow ourselves to express our anger. And there are a lot of health consequences to not expressing anger. It's important to recognize that, you know, again, not woo-woo, this is science, that there is a component in what are termed women's illnesses, which are things like autoimmune disorders, 
disordered eating, fatigue, chronic pain, you know, fibromyalgia, lupus, all of these sort of things where the body is reacting against itself or taking itself down and the higher rates of depression in women. And they're all of those things that are considered quote unquote women's issues. We now know that a repression of anger is a factor in that. And I would even go so far as to say, I think it's a pretty big factor. And I think when you, you know, recognize, okay, wait, women actually are angry more than men, but express it drastically less often. And when they do express it, it comes out often as rage because it's been repressed for so long. And then they really get characterized as crazy and unattractive and penalized. And so they repress it more. That cycle has to stop. That That is not okay. It's very damaging. And so if we can move away from the concept of anger and rage and allow ourselves to have a titrated experience of feeling that anger in a way that makes us step up and step out and speak up and act out on our own behalf, then we can see it as being fierce. And I want you to find fierce. I want you to find the part of you that is fierce. And so I'm gonna take just a little break here and then I'm gonna come back with the takeaway. So now it's time for the takeaway. The takeaway is an actionable practice that you can take out in the world as you journey forward. It's something that could be, should be, hopefully will be of use to you. It's a practice. It's not something that, you know, maybe you're going to master right away, but possibly you could. It could be something that will really, even today, you could start and you'll see results from it, something that can help you on your journey. And today's takeaway is coming up. Okay. Thanks for hanging out with me for a moment while I had a little sip of tea. So before I get into the takeaway, I want to go back to the idea of sourcing your power inside yourself instead of sourcing it externally. One of the things that keeps us from doing that is being competent financially. It's also having experience in doing things that we rely on others to do. And I think one thing that we can do on this journey is look around and say, okay, I don't mow the lawn, but if I was alone, could I, would I? Yeah, you could, you probably could. You know, that's kind of a stupid example. It's an example for me personally. I do not like to mow because I'm actually afraid of running over my foot. I know it's irrational, but there it is. But the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I've lived alone and I know that if push comes to shove, all of the things that need to be taken care of, I can take care of. And if you do not know that, if you have not put yourself in a situation to learn that, or if you've not given yourself the grace of learning that, that is going to make it very difficult for you to source your power from inside yourself instead of with someone else. If the person that you're with makes all the money and makes the decisions and there's a subtle power difference there because of that, which I think is very, very, very common, then that's going to make it hard. If on the other hand, you make more of the money, then you might know statistically you're much more likely to get divorced. So again, 
you know, there's a sense where you really have to determine how it is that you are going to find a sense of self and a sense of your own validity that belongs solely to you. And it's tricky. I mean, that's that's an, a lifelong negotiation, but at least you can recognize it and say, hey, as long as my power is sourced from someone else, I'm kind of screwed because I'm always going to be co-opting myself in order to make that work. And recognizing it, I, I'm a big believer in small changes. So when we come to the takeaway here in a minute, I'm not going to tell you change yourself, go out and be, you know, a, a big, bold, brave, brash, loud, you know, on your soapbox person. Although if you want to be, I'm all for that. Um, what I'm going to say is recognizing things as they are, recognize your anger, be honest about it. Instead of saying, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm that, like really delve down and maybe do some journaling and find out what's at the root of it. And I think you're going to find that there's a lot of places that you're angry that you're just not even acknowledging. And bonus round, then you can delve into those and find out, okay, what preceded this? What is preceding my anger? Where is this coming from? Why is it happening? What is the emotion that is coming first? And when you delve into that, then you have something actionable that you can begin to approach with the idea of changing, solving, improving, bettering in some way, relieving yourself of the burden of the anger that's been numbed and turned inside into something that is fawning or frozen. So my takeaway for today is, bear with me, we're going to do it small. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, let's be really titrated about this because every time you begin to express things that are considered quote unquote, not nice, not only will you feel uncomfortable, not only will your partner, your family, your friends, your coworkers feel uncomfortable, but you will feel the discomfort of society in general weighing down on you. That is not small. That is not something to like feel bad about. That's a real thing. And it's hard to, it's like, it's like a seed trying to sprout through the concrete, right? But it can be done. It can be done. The best way to do it is to do it in very small doses. And so my step for the takeaway is to really take a moment, look through your days, look through your weeks, and figure out one small thing that you don't speak up about, that you don't assert yourself about because you say, oh, it's not worth the trouble. It's not worth a fight. I don't want to have a fight. I don't want to get into it. It's just going to go around and round. Nothing will change. All of those excuses, I want you to do it anyway. I want you to just find one small thing that you are willing to stand up for, for yourself, not for someone else. I'm sure that you're willing to go to bat for your kids. I'm sure you're willing to go to bat for your family. I'm talking about for you. And it could be something as small as, hey, when you put the dishes in the dishwasher, could you go ahead and make sure that you're putting all the forks upside down or however it is that you do it? You know, that's, you know, everybody knows about my dishwasher dilemma. I've talked about it before. That's something that if I were to say it to my partner would probably create a state of annoyance between the two of us for, I don't know, 10 minutes. And it could go on depending on how our day was and how much sleep we got and how much money we have and what's happening, you know, with our school or what's happening with work. So, you know, when you parlay this small thing, it could turn into a big thing. There's no doubt about it. But most of the time, 
if you can contain yourself and not immediately try to fix it or change it or do something to it, it will actually dissipate. And if you make a practice of doing those small, like, I'm going to speak up for myself, I'm going to tolerate the discomfort, I'm going to sit with it, I'm going to breathe through it. If I have to, I'm going to leave the room and go write in my journal, or I'm going to go excuse myself and go into the bathroom and like have a mini cry, whatever you need to do. Don't try to change it. Don't turn it into an argument. Don't try to make it into a big deal. Don't try to fix them. Just say that one small thing and let it land. Just let it land. And I think if you start to practice that in a very small titrated way, you'll find, hey, change starts to happen in your life. Certain parts of yourself will begin to become unstuck. And it might be very small at first, but if you do those small changes, that's what adds up to something larger. And the larger feeling is one of being fierce. And being fierce means being free. And that is what I wish for you. So I hope that that was helpful. Thanks again for coming to listen to another episode. And I will catch you next week. Hey, friends. Thank you again for joining me on A Voice of Her Own. I hope that this episode was useful, that it was inspiring, that it sparked something in you that you can take out into the world. And if you want to hear more episodes or you want to sign up for our newsletter so you never miss one being released, head on over to www.avoiceofherown.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can get all the show notes. You can uh, get all the links to everything we talked about and any promotional things that I have going on. So again, thanks for joining us and take that out into the world and be your badass self. Mm -hmm.